hey man, what are you really gonna do with your life? What do you think is actually valuable rather than what you're being told is valuable? Um, the, man, I'd probably be asking that question and see where it went. Well, hey, thanks for sitting down and chatting. Absolutely, buddy. Fun talk to flying some fighters, talk about guns, Gary, and being out here. I mean, talk about like the setup. I mean, we should be playing golf, not not sitting right here, but you know. Uh, we could not have picked a better day for this. Thanks, God. Yeah, the, right. The first the first two years were uh, rougher with the weather. Uh, this is perfect. Well, you know, South Carolina in the fall, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be miserable. And it was it was ama uh, miserable and amazing on the same time. Uh, like I think the last year, where it was like thunderstorms, and then it was like a million degrees. Uh, and well, it's the south. Dude, I was thinking, you know, when I was at Shaw, it was this time we had like back to back year. Like we probably did three Huravacs in a matter of like two years with the one, DFW. Yeah, well, no, we didn't know you guys. The McIntyre guys went to DFW and had a great time in Fort Worth. We went to Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, our hotel the hot actually, spots. our hotel caught on fire. Uh, believe it or not, and like, and it's one of those deals. Like the hotel, the fire alarm goes off nine o'clock in the morning. No one leaves their hotel room. Yeah, nobody. Like everyone kind of like opens the door, closes it, <laughs> going right back to sleep. <laughs> but then the group chat one is like, "Hey, dudes, the hotel's actually on fire." <laughs> that was the way. Please don't die. <laughs> it's like, how did we you, need you to fly it back? How did you kill an entire fighter squadron? They didn't like, trust anything. They didn't. They didn't leave during the fire alarm going off. But I mean, how often does that happen? So, yeah. So we didn't get to that. But yeah, never know what's going to be in October in South Carolina. But today is a perfect day. I appreciate you sitting down, chatting. I want to jump. Uh, yeah, just if you can give me the six to nine second elevator pitch of who you are, a little bit of your background, we'll, we'll jump to that and then we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk some stories. Sure, man. Um, I'm uh, Justin Dumay, uh, go by ALF, uh, currently a Lieutenant Colonel in the reserves now. I was out here at McIntyre for about 18 and a half years. Um, what do I got? 2,200 hours in the Viper. Um, a few, huh? Dude, I, I miss, I, I miss flying that airplane. It's been about three or four months since I've flown. Uh, and I am excited to get back into it. Um, I fly for American, so I'm, I'm DFW based now, in the reserves out at 10th Air Force, just waiting for an F-35 TX and uh, going on to do some different things. I'll miss the Viper, but I bet Fat Amy is gonna be awesome too. Yeah, it looks like it's got some sweet bells and whistles and then flying in large force exercises with old Fat Amy flying in short trail, like it can, it can see and do some things that you're working pretty hard in the Viper to make happen. The when I'm talking to captains and they're asking about what I'm doing with my military life, and I start talking about sensor fusion, they're like, "What the heck's that?" And I try to explain, like, "Well, I've got an ESA and I've got this fancy radar in the Viper, but and it can see a few things. But then I'm listening to Com from AWACS, or and then I've got my targeting pod, and then I'm interrogating, and I put all those pieces together in the computer right here, in order to say that that's a bad guy. Now I can shoot him, and Fat Amy is just doing it for you." with trons from space yeah science math oh, all man. that stuff's the, happening uh, i mean I, I can't wait to go and see like you know, a touch screen's probably gonna be real nice <laughs> and the air conditioning i didn't oh yeah uh croc was just talking about the ecs sounds like it's amazing i didn't realize that the screen in that 35 is a laser plane did it's, not know that yeah either. it's you know where you're which makes sense i guess if you're taxiing like 
I can imagine just you know the Viper holding up front control panel as you're taxiing around, or even that's know, not the that's not the one that I wanted. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> oh man, you know. But like, I suck if, again. If you got a laser plane, I don't know. Even still, you're breaking the laser plane if you're hitting turbulence or bouncing around. It's like, think, oh man, I just hit the wrong button. But I feel like we were talking about it, and he was like, trying to explain. Uh, well, he still doesn't know what a waveform is, and neither do I. But he's like, yeah, we got like 20 of these, and I'm like, I was like, so what do they do? And he's like, I have no idea. <laughs> Magic. The jet does stuff, man. Just, just do. And it doesn't like being micromanaged. Dude, you know, it's like you don't need to know about it. You don't need to understand how it works. I don't want to know about it. It just works. I, I, I just want to fly airliners and kill bad guys. <laughs> it's it's a, the best of both worlds. <laughs> well, that's good. So you don't, do you know when you'll go to the TX? That's a transition no course mm -hmm. for those listening or watching. Well, the Air Force know. ran itself out of money, so um, it's really yeah. a money concern right now. Yeah, it turns out uh, knocked it off with moves and all sorts of stuff and then knocked it back on. True statement. Um, times. So Karak is about to finish up his uh, iPug out at Luke, um, and I'm ready to go. We're just waiting on the call. To, in the meantime, we'll just fly to American and mail it in at, at the reserves. Yeah, so talk to me a little bit about uh, TX course, what that's like, because I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing that aren't familiar with it, but transition course, so you're going from one plane to another. But what is your life, when that call does happen, when you actually get a set of orders, what, what's that look like? Uh, I think right now a, we are trying to change the paradigm of what a TX course really looks like because we we need more F-35 pilots. We need more pilots, period. But I've got 2,200 hours on the airplane. They're not teaching me how to be an instructor again. They're going to teach me how to be an instructor on a different airplane. So do I need the full up, like, year-long course that the average B courser that has never flown a fighter aircraft needs? No, it doesn't make sense. Um, we can kind of custom tailor, and the ArcTX is designed, that concept is designed to do that, where, hey man, we're gonna cherry pick a certain, a couple rides out of each phase, like BFM, ACM, TI, OCA, um, and we're gonna get you competent in the airplane. We already know you know how to teach, we just need you to be able to, because things work a little bit different in, uh, in the F-35. So, um, I think, the design for like an experience dude to go through and be a full up IP is you're looking at probably just three or four months instead of like six to nine. Right. So think like cutting it in half, which then gives you more ability to go back and spin up other units because you can be guest IP help and teach the teachers so they can go and transition all the rest of their guys locally. Gotcha. Talk to me a little bit about, you said you spent 18 years or so in McIntyre, so you're a guard baby? I am a guard baby, man. Yeah, talk to me, what is the guard? How how does that work? How are you flying fighters for that long? Just let's jump into the, what the guard um, life is. The, nobody actually understands this and I have to explain it to them every time they ask. Like, yeah, well, how now we got you... a document so you can just show them this. And, gotcha, yes, yeah. 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 How, <laughs> did, how did you do this? Here, um, go. Man, it took me three or four years to get hired. Uh, at the time that I was really doing this, which was around like 2003, 2004 timeframe. Um, and I interviewed at all the guard bases around uh, the U.S. just trying to get a position to go to pilot training. The great deal about getting hired by the guard is that you're guaranteed to fly that airplane as long as you pass pilot training. So um, while you, you're still going to be good enough to get a fighter, like this is, this is stacking the deck. Like, hey man, I want to fly F-16s, I want to do it in South Carolina, I'm going to go apply to the South Carolina Air National Guard, because um, they're going to hire you for 20 years. Um, that's one of the, it's probably one of the reasons that it's so competitive, because you're not going to move around. Um, I spend most of my time on active orders, so think of me as like a 
active duty pilot, they just didn't move. Um, the, I actually, man, it took three or four years to finally get that call. Hey man, you're the guy. Cause I kept losing, I kept losing to the prior enlisted guy. They don't care. Like it didn't matter how great your resume was. It didn't matter how like great you did on your, with your scores. It was, I'm going to go hire this guy that's been working in life support or as a crew chief for the last three years. Cause like, he's a known quantity. I'm comfortable hanging out with him for 20 years. And then I'm supposed to go up and show up an interview and I've got 20 minutes to make a good impression as long as I'm not a clown in the bar beforehand, you know? Right. Um, and so understandably, like I kept losing to their like local dudes. Um, and so I finally just bit the bullet and enlisted McIntyre. So That's I, funny, I was, I was just talking to someone last night. So I've never been in the guard, right? But a lot of buddies who are in the guard and his son is looking to go into aviation. And one of my recommendations is like, like to increase your chances, probably enlisting that unit, get some, do some job, get some skill set that around aviation you can do, you know, hang out with else, pilots, but be, you're being around and they get to know you and you become a known quantity and you're not some dude just showing up off the street. What, what other advice do you have for guys or gals who are trying to get hired by a guard unit? Um, I would definitely go get your private pilot's license at least. Um, I wouldn't go and spend $30,000 getting your multi-engine a commercial ticket with a CFI add-on, like there's no need for that because they're going to teach you everything at, at UPT, obviously, you know that. Um, honestly, it can be kind of a hindrance. We had one guy who got hired the year before me as like a 4,000 hour like RJ captain. He didn't make it through T-38s. Um, the, I would say like have a good bar act, <laughs> keep your mouth shut, um, bring a bottle, right, um, and then just be a normal person and ask leading questions, and then prepare to just sit there and listen because we're pilots. We love to talk about ourselves. Yeah, Mouth we, shut, ears open, you know? Exactly. Um, just be a good number two slash four <laughs> without knowing what that even means. Right, right. <laughs> just be, be a wingman. Just keep your mouth shut and, you know, just, just be there. Be a sponge. Soak everything up, right? You got it, man. What got you involved in aviation? What put you on this path? Uh, honestly, I grew up in California, and my, uh, my uncle... He's now a retired 06. I think he's a, he's a civilian contractor. Um, he, was a, uh, he was an engineer. He built basically all the infrastructure at Edwards. And so uh, we would drive out there every year for the air show because he was okay. there and we'd go in, and I'm four years old and watching the Thunderbirds and I was like, that's what I want to do. Um, so I knew like really young that this is what I wanted, what, that that's what I wanted to do. It kind of took a, a bit of a sidetrack because then I went to USC, I was doing the, the diving thing. Um, I mean, we made it all the way to the Olympics and it, it just didn't, I was doing other things. Um, not making the Olympic team in 2000 was probably like my wake up call. Like, Hey, what am I doing with my life? Um, and quite, what, what do quite, I really want to go do? Quite, quite the wake up call. Like I didn't quite make it to the Olympics. Yeah. But that was like, dude, what, uh, what do I really want to do? And like, cause I, I planned on like going to medical school, becoming a doctor. Um, then it was business school at Texas. And not making the team was the the aha moment from God, where you're like, this is this is not the direction that I have for you. So um, that's when I started uh, paying for all my own flight lessons. I was flying out in Austin, um, and that's when I started like really like shotgunning um, applications to to different guard units because like, dude, this is what I want to go do. I'm so, gonna make it happen. Yeah, from when you didn't, well, from when you kind of had that aha moment, I assume, and not making the mm -hmm. Olympic team, to when you were hired at McIntyre to even when you actually showed up at pilot training, what was that timeline? 
Uh, let's see. I enlisted at McIntyre in, um, I think, it was uh, April of 05. I interviewed with McIntyre the first time. For, literally, I was at the Olympics in Athens, like doing it over the phone because I was doing things. <laughs> I got the thanks, but no thanks. See you next year. And I was like, all right. <laughs> um, the And then I got selected, I want to say, um, in August of 05? August of 05? Okay. And then I was in pilot training in July of 06. So I had, to wait, cool. I, had, I had to wait about six months to go to officer training. Uh, at AMS in Knoxville, and then another six months after that to go to NGIP. That's pretty. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, timeline. I mean, it was it yeah. was about a year from when I got the thumbs up to I'm in uh, a T37 at Shepard. Yeah, that's yeah, that's awesome. Did you fly the tweet? I didn't. I got a ride in a tweet when I was in college. Did ROTC? I went out to Shepard in like the summer program, mm -hmm. so I got to experience it in July. And then that was a softy in the T6. Oh man, I I just recall like sitting there at 115 degrees and 100% humidity with the canopy open. No sunshades. No, nothing, man. Um, and the crew chief is like rocking the wing because that helped the engines get started. Right. Yeah, you're like, what's happening <laughs> right six, now? 50 years old already. Just got to shake the um, plane. And then that you're going to try to fly like uh, an instrument story. So they put that crappy hood over you. And <laughs> the things were so bent and the instrument stacks were all, they were different in every single airplane. Yeah. So in one airplane, you would look here and in another airplane, you would look over here and you're like, I, there's, I have no cross check. I, and all I'm trying, <laughs> all you're trying to do at that point in your life is develop a cross check and a habit pattern. And all the things are in yeah. different places. I can just fit it in here. So you're looking at the attitude indicator and trying to fly straight and level. Then you're watching the heading indicator spin around. And I'm like, this airplane is clearly bent. <laughs> and we're out flying instruments in the clouds. <laughs> Could you imagine flying an A37 like in the mountains of Columbia? I know they've got like a little bit bigger motor, but it's Dude, not Dude, they had much. T38 motors. Why? Afterburners. Could you could you imagine flying that thing? Well, if I was killing bad guys, yeah. No I mean, they, and those guys are like take off in their backyard, slinging rockets, and it was actually some of the most fun flying I've ever done in the military because it was fun. Like you, here you are after like three rides, and they're like, "All right, go on your T thirty seven solo, man," and you're like, "No, I don't want to. Right. <laughs> I, am, I am scared for my own life." Right? This now. is not safe. I know this is not safe. I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing. But that thing was, uh, dude. It was a tank. Was I ever going to eject out of it? Nope. I was going to just land in a field. Yeah. I mean, those things would smack wings, and they'd have them fly in the. That afternoon. Bro, they had two Italian IPs land gear up at Hacker, which was our aux field. All they did was like put it on jacks, lower the gear, and take off again. Landed gear up. You can't make these things up. That thing was, it was a tank. Yeah. That's why I wasn't going to eject out of it. It was going to yeah. be fine. And that's why it flew for the seat. Eh, I don't know about that. Yeah, you're carrying that parachute. Yes, that's the thing. You, that you were wearing your parachute, bro. Wearing parachute, the, old, the T-38 before they got the new seat. Unfortunately, I had a buddy, he was killed out at Injept. They no you know no sequencers right the old seat, and just fog go around like not enough. They both go at the same time hit seats, but like yeah. it's just not. I think that the old seat and the tweet was like a zero fifty seat. Maybe, I, I honestly can't remember. I can't remember either. But line on line on line silver key. I, there yeah. used to be the mantra where you were like, hey, I've got to connect this thing in order to what? What am I doing? Yeah, not. I'm not, busy not dying right now. Yeah, not where you want to be in life. <laughs> not where you want to be in life. No. Hard pass. But it was, it was a, dude, it was a hell of a lot of fun to fly. I swear, if I had, I mean, I enjoyed flying the T6. If I had four or $5 million or whatever it costs nowadays, like that thing sips gas, but it is, like, go out there, 
fly aerobatics with your buddies. They didn't buddies. even top it off in between sorties, did they? You, know, you don't have to. I mean, That's thing, amazing. I mean, that, that thing just sipped gas. Amazing. That was, that was a fun plane to fly. It's forgiving, too. I mean, it's a good trainer mm -hmm. airplane bringing people in. Can't um, speak to it, man. Yeah. One day. I'm, still, I'm old school. Yeah. Well, speaking of old school, so, yeah, 05, I mean, your entire career, GWAT, like most of the guys around here, right, everything you've known or done has been the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about some of the, what, when was your first deployment? Uh, Iraq 2010. We went to Balad. Um, and honestly, nothing was going on. It's kind of when we were shutting things down. Yeah. Um, we'd won. Yeah. The, uh, I think I spent like the last two months of the deployment as the Kayak LNO. And that's when we were shutting down the two squadrons at, uh, we were shutting it down to one. So I think, uh, the 55th okay. owned the South side of the ramp and we were on the North side. Um, so I was literally like over there playing, um, TBMCS video games, trying to like put stuff in the ATO to get airplanes out of there. Um, and that took at least a month. To, and we were, I mean, we were painting over walls and just handing it back to the Iraqis. Did, I think it was, it was so boring that I think I made like a tour of all like these old like biblical sites yeah. and sent it over to the, send it over, I like, put it on zipper and sent it over to the 55th. Like, hey guys, when you're just flying around, like throw your pot over there and check out that old, like uh, that old ruin over there. I was doing that on my last appointment. I would actually go back and look. Go look at Saddam's palace. There's, oh, there's so much stuff there. I mean, and from a biblical standpoint, in that region that you don't really, at least I didn't think about being in Iraq and mm -hmm. Syria. That's like, where Nineveh used to be. Yeah, you go, <laughs> go check it, it out, over there. It's like, yeah, throw the targeting pod <laughs> as you're going to the tanker and take a look. Uh, ISIS, the cradle of civilization yeah, now. It's yeah. just dust. Crazy how things change. Time. The, uh, let's see, that was the first one. And then... I think we went to Afghanistan in 2012. I did not go on that one uh, because they thought uh, I, was, I thought I was going to get a call from Delta. I did not, <laughs> so I missed out on that one. Um, and then I did a uh, let's see, I did a TSP with Atlantic City and DC to Korea in 2014. And then we went back to Korea in 2016. Uh, we went to Kuwait in 2018, and then I did PSAB in uh, 2021. So yeah. I've, I've I've spent plenty of time in the Middle East. Uh, Kuwait was probably my favorite because that's when we were doing the Lord's work. Yeah. I uh, dropped a lot of bombs there and killed some bad guys. What year um, was that? 2018. Yeah, so. I mean, it was an, almost a two hour drive to get to Syria, um, go fly around some circles, mostly doing DCA. Well, it's like kind of a weird time. So I was there 14, 15. Mm -hmm. I remember the, the early, you know, ISIS had just kicked off, right? So it was time to be a fighter pilot. But then fast forward about halfway through that deployment, that's when the Russians started showing up in Syria. Yeah, obviously establishing mm -hmm. their presence. Um, Su-35 showed up there. The dynamics changed. And then, not to say like it lost its luster with the media, but definitely lost its luster. You didn't really hear about it. But guys were doing work on a daily basis, uh, getting after it. And so, you know, to this day, like that stuff is still, still happening. But talk to me about the, the dynamics with DCA, defensive counter air. So, you know, we're thinking, most people think Iraq, Afghanistan, global war on terrorism, close air support, but the Syria bit, a little bit a little bit different. The dynamics there are a little bit stranger. Yeah, I had uh, experience there in 2018 when we were flying out of Kuwait, and then we went there a lot in uh, out of PSAB in 2021 as well. Um, we did, I would fly around uh, the ATG, the Altamp Garrison, in that protected airspace right there and just say, hey, Russians, you stay on your side, we'll stay on ours. Um, so I don't know if I really saw a lot of uh, 
defensive counter air stuff in the first one, but in 2021 we did. I think we actually had a four ship up there at some point with a bunch of SU 35s, and we were playing. Uh, we were playing chicken. Yeah. Um, we literally had a four ship up there with all our AMRAMs and ready to like go shoot stuff, and we thought things might actually happen. And then they eventually just went away. They're like, oh, okay, they brought more airplanes over here. We're going to go back home now. <laughs> um, I did, um, I found a four post out there that nobody was talking about. Um, the That's when we, that was in 2021 when we first did our ESAs. And so okay. I didn't even find it with the radar. I just happened to see a blip out there, slewed the radar and saw something in the targeting pod. And I was like, hey, uh, does anybody know anything about this? And we went and found him, my wingman and I. Um, I told him to call up a, a 9X, and we were both going to shoot at the same time. Unfortunately, they called it a bogey. We just this guy's just blitzing through our airspace, soaking up all our trons. Really, we didn't get to shoot him down. That was a bummer. I that was a real bummer. Nobody even knew he was there That's, until we found him. I remember when the the Russians they they launched a bunch of cruise missiles into Syria before they really showed up there. Now like AWACS put PPLIs on them, so. Link 16, you, know, you could tag it and make it really easy to like slew the targeting pod. But I remember just watching those things go by, go underneath you, you know, and the targeting pod. <laughs> See like, you later. This is just like, this is, this is weird, you know? Uh, it's a lot, a lot of dynamics uh, in and around that region uh, that could qu quickly escalate. Crazy, man. Um, I think I flew over Afghanistan a couple times on that 2021 deployment, too. So we were flying overhead as the C 17s were leaving. Yeah. What a disaster that was. It's crazy. That's what Croc and I are just talking about. Obviously, I've done, I've done a few episodes. You can see the ring of our equipment flying black flags around Bagram. <sighs> Couldn't kill him. It's, yeah, it's wild. That's a whole other thing. I, I've done a couple episodes with the C-17 Bubba's talking about their experiences leaving there. Uh, I think I've been vocal. A lot of people have been vocal about it. Like, from a tactical execution of this, this was a terrible game plan and could you imagine being the C-17 crew that landed at the deed and found human remains in your gear well? Could not. Uh, they should never have been in that position. Right. That's all I have to say about that one. Yep. I, I always said, too, those guys and gals that were dealing with all that chaos, I think, I mean, golf clap to them. Like, they earned their wings. They were put in a bad situation. They shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. They're taxiing around an airfield and people are hanging on to wings. Like what do you, yeah, what what do you do? They did some pilot stuff that day. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's astounding to me. Like yeah. that is not, and they're probably young guys too. They're probably young active duty guys. Captains at best, so, most likely. I, I actually spoke with the aircraft commander mm -hmm. from the one that everyone saw on TV and he was going. Well, got 700 people in the back. Going and, and what he's talking about, you know, hearing the body slap against the side of the jet, going like the things they dealt with oh, emotionally, dude. Uh, all the way back, the you know three and a half hour flight back, you know, processing. If you, and I, you empathize, like thinking, you know, if you're sitting there, you're you know, you got at least one dead body strapped to your plane. You you know, you killed them, right? That's the thought. It's like I just you know we just killed this guy. You know, he didn't force him on the plane, right? But now this is like his problem. Like, imagine rolling through all the emotions of like what what is going to happen. Just having to do that deal for the that. rest of like, their lives. Like that's some serious PTSD. Yeah. So I I really feel for all those crews that had to deal with that stuff. Um, it's a shame they were put in that situation. Applaud the ones that again. I think they made some tough 
sound judgment calls. Like you never have like, it's never gonna be a perfect call. You never have all the information you want, nor the amount of time, gas, money, whatever it is. So they, uh, they earned it. No, I can't imagine having been in that position. Not, not where you want to be. So kind of ping ponging around there a little bit. Talk to me, you know, for those who aren't familiar too with the guard, like when you're, when you're saying you're, you know, Hey, these deployments, you hung back from one because you had a potential interview with Delta. How does that work? So if someone is interested in the guard and flying for the airlines, like what is that dynamic? What's the flavor of that? Ooh, uh, Wearing two hats is probably not the easiest, but um, it's going to help if you're an experienced guy. Um, you've got 10 years flying the jet. Like, you're not going to forget how to do it if you take a couple months off when you go to training and learn how to fly a 737 or an Airbus. Um, but it's a, it's an awesome way to feed your family, go do something different, and then still, like, fly fast jets on the weekends. Um, every, all my buddies who are airline guys and... Uh, fighter pilots, they, I mean, they still love what they do. They may not love the Air Force so much. Yeah, there's, uh, but they, I mean, they love flying the jets. They love flying the jet. The, um, and they still want to keep doing it. It's still a good way to serve. They still want to go and put warheads on foreheads occasionally. Yep. Um, but not at the price of being moved around every three years as their kids are growing up and the guard can, uh, generally, uh, afford a little bit more stability in that terms. Like, hey, man. I've set up my life here. My wife's got a great job. My kids are going to a good school. I, I am unwilling to uproot that. And I'll, I pick this place and I'll go get hired by an airline that is domiciled close by because I don't want to commute to two jobs. Right. Um, it's a, man, it's a great way to like, it's an easy way to, oh, sound yeah, freedom. Sound free, yeah, two shift. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a good way to, to kind of have your cake and eat it too because it's a, a skill set that is obviously highly valued and highly paid. Yeah, I think the guard, not having been in the guard, right, but it's very appealing because I, I think active duty especially struggles with the stability piece. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people now, like the military will never compete with pay, right? But you didn't join to do this job for the pay, right? Like you joined to serve. If you can go fly jets and do some work, that's icing on the cake. But the guard piece of it, the fact that you can, hey, I can more or less anchor in one spot, fly the jet that I want to fly, do the things that I want to do. And then, oh yeah, you can go do your airline. Cause ultimately like, most likely that's gonna be the, the long career for the vast majority of people who are in this world but you can do it in the same spot. So, yeah. And you have bros that you will uh, never lose contact with. I mean, well, there were six or seven guys that lived all in the same neighborhood. Croc literally lived 0.69 miles away from my house. <laughs> um, and like he'd have, he, he knew the code to my house. Like I've, all my neighbors in the neighborhood, like literally knew like the pin code to my house, could walk in and they would have left like dinner for me in the fridge and like they're outside playing in the pool when I come home. Yeah. I'm like, that is what the guard can offer. Uh, and I dig that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So you mentioned uh, some flying big old fat jets too. So you're doing that as well. So t tell me a little bit about that transition, what you're doing, what's a day in the life of? Uh, I'm on the Airbus. I am DFW based now. And uh, honestly, I didn't really know what to expect because that would have been like the first big airplane that I flew. Um, I got hired at American back in 2016 and went and flew the 737. And 
Honestly, it was a little weird to have somebody else in the cockpit with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 Are we going to talk about putting the gear up and then I'm going to do it? Or like, <laughs> I just do this on the F-16. Yeah. I, I don't do talk all, to myself. <laughs> I do all of it. I put the gear down. I talk on the radio. And oh, by the way, I fly the plane. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a different that was thing. a different, uh, it, it is easy to, it's an easy transition. I mean, instead of doing CRM between two people in the cockpit, I've been doing it with leading seven other jets around. Um, and it's a lot harder for me to interpret what number two's got going on in his cockpit when he's just using words that I may or may not understand. Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit easier to have the guy right over here say, hey man, that's messed up. I'm like, oh yeah, we should fix that. Um, the, it is definitely different but it's it's less flying and more um systems management i mean i still hand fly as much as i can but I mean, it's kind of nice to not have to work that hard honestly you, you you take off you put the gear up you clean up the airplane you turn on the autopilot well that's what you want like you don't want to be in, in that world you don't want to be working hard although i did see american had a 7.3 it was a couple days ago unreliable airspeed on the climb oh, right and uh yeah, that's one of those things. Like pitch and power, man. Yeah, pitch and power setting. You got to know your pitch and power setting. Like, uh, I popped to mind the 2009 Air France crash mm -hmm. out of Brazil, you know, iced up. And the jet is perfectly fine other than ice. And then now the pitot tubes are covering. They're getting unreliable airspeed. But a pitch and power setting, that plane they is still, saved it. That plane will still continue to fly. So when you say, like, yeah, it's pretty easy, like, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's easy. FedEx had the the 7.5 with the gear up landing, a hydraulic failure. Gear doesn't come down. They did all the right things too, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, alternate gear didn't work. That's why I, I I post about it. And some people chime in like, oh, I should have alternate gears. And I'm like, these dudes for 85 minutes worked this problem. And oh, by the way, they're SATCOM with maintenance, with you know technical pilots, et cetera. Like, I'm... Pretty they did sure, all the right things. I'm pretty sure they, <laughs> they read thought, all the books. They thought about at least the alternate gear extent. You know, like thanks, thanks, Kyle. They were, yeah, they're probably pulling circuit, doing all kinds of crazy all, stuff. Also, I had I was leaving, uh, I was going Korea down to China, and triple seven. It's a pretty reliable plane. Doesn't have a whole lot of issues. We had an auto throttle in op. ICAST message trucking down. Guess plane's still going to fly right, but usually you have the auto throttles engaged. But you know, it turns out in the modern era, like pff, I'm over you know, Korea, I can SATCOM back and I get a maintainer on the phone who's like, hey, I want you to go look at this circuit breaker and this circuit breaker, pull this one for 30 seconds and reset it. It's like, boom, you know, like. Most of the things that I've had to fix in the airplane in the Airbus have been like, just like the Viper reset, turn it off, turn it back on. Yeah, fixes most things. And then they, it'll tell you what's wrong and it literally walks you through the checklist and say, do this. And if that doesn't work, then you're like, then you got another problem. I love, uh, yeah, like just the microphone starting this interview, wasn't working, turn it off, turn it back on. Like a champ. Um, you know, coming back into the chalks, sniper pods not working. You know, as you get more experience, you start getting into the beeps and squeaks and you can do some troubleshooting yourself. So right when I was leaving active duty, it was a lot of experienced maintainers had left. So the, the maintenance pool was very inexperienced. I remember pulling in and it's like brand new avionics tech. You're like, hey, dude, I've already done this, 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 and this. He's like, okay, sir, can you turn it off? And we're gonna turn it back on. I'm like, ah, yeah, okay, I've already done that like nine times. Didn't think of that, you're yeah, right. I was like, I already did that nine <laughs> times. I've run like five bits on this thing. I've done that. But, but did you turn it off and yeah, turn it back right. on? Back back to step one. Viper reset, turn it off, turn it back on, man. Okay. That's, that's all I gotta do. 
How about I just write it up and hand the keys to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, I, do you want to download anything off this thing before I shut down the jet? I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go inside. Yeah, it's hot in here, man. <laughs> I, I tried. I was like, yeah, you got air conditioning. I've already overspent my piddle pack. It's yeah, time right, to go. Yeah, it's, I, got, I am bingo piddle packs. We got a roll here. Uh, not, not where we want to be in life. Talk to me a little bit about guns, Garen. Talk to me about guns, because uh, obviously you guys are insane. I knew guns for about 14 years. Yeah. Um, he got hired the year after I did. He's uh, He was kind of uh, a contemporary of Dirty. They both like went to pilot training at the same time. They're both competing to go to WIC uh, together. And Guns was just that, I feel like he was the squadron glue, for lack of a better way of putting it. Yeah. He was super competent. We've had a lot of great patches at McIntyre. We've had a lot, I've, I've hung out with a lot of great patches, but honestly, I think he was one of the best patches that I've ever like run across because he could in one 45 minute academic session for I, I, I used to go back and look at his like videos that we record like for like dude I'm doing an OCA ride here's the things I need to highlight he could speak to the 2200 hour like expert with a blackboarder on his shoulder and he could also talk to the part-time wingman who's got like 500 hours on the airplane all in the same brief and he was very good at um, addressing some of the beeps and squeaks that you might care about, but dude, I don't need you to like regurgitate three dash one shot kill. <laughs> right. Like at some point you're just pressing the pickle button and you're, I believe. And he was really good at like finding the balance between, um, the stuff you need today in order to win. And then, Hey man, if you're really interested, we can go talk about some of this, this technical stuff that may or may not make a difference at, in one time out of a million, <laughs> right. maybe. And, and he'll, he could, he could do that eloquently and uh, succinctly and uh, before the time was up that we had to get out of there. Um, he was just really good at that. Um, he was that guy that uh, everyone kind of liked being around. He was a good dude to have on TDY. Total bro, let's go to the bar, we'll push it on up and then we're gonna get ready and we're gonna go to red flag and we're gonna win this like impossible red flag bowl. Um, so he wore those hats really, really well. Um, dude, great husband great father um man we miss him we miss him a lot he's uh to have him be normal and then pass away in a week was a what a blow to the squadron man that one that one hurt it still does like you're um i am amazed at kelly's ability to to bear that that's some serious god stuff there yeah um what a uh, what a testament! It's it's one thing to talk about your faith when you haven't truly been tested or you haven't lost anything. It's a whole different ball game when your story is like her story. Like that is that's a real story. That's a good witness. Absolutely. When you look out here, you know today, and and actually, you know, I was fortunate to sit down with some of the people that Foundation has helped. Right. So carrying guns, legacy forward. But making the world a better place because it's so like it's so easy to do nothing not to say like nothing right but like life is busy people keep moving on everyone has their things they're worried about and just trying to manage the day-to-day -day. this obviously creating a foundation and doing these things this is extra work but i think it's a, it's a testament speaks to guns like it's pretty special that kelly guns family you know wanted to do something like this and then guys were willing to step up to help make all this come to life because dude croc and baldy uh have put 
I mean, blood, sweat, and tears into this. Um, the here we are three years later, and like it just keeps getting bigger every year. They're more successful every year, and the whole point originally was to take care of Kelly and the kids. Right. Um, and now it's morphed into this thing where, like, hey man, when this happens to other people, how can we, how can we help take care of them now? Um, I'm kind of just a minion for uh, for Guns Garen. <laughs> um, the I've got some connections with like folks that I've built relationships with through church and and the community here in uh, in Colombia, and and I can bring they'll they are they have Chris Eckert with Chick Fil A every. Every single time that we have done anything affiliated with uh, Guns Garen, like he has donated like product from Chick Fil A, food. Like it's he wanted to do it again this year and he couldn't because of the the rules here at the uh, at the club. But he gave us a bunch of gift cards too for to to go to his store and he, we didn't pay for that. He does that every single year. We've got uh, you got Trey Horn and Coke um, that not only give us a cash donation but uh, provided a bunch of like the the refreshments. You've got, he also provided some of the stuff to auction off. Like, that's kind of like my role is to go and bug them to give us free stuff for guns. Which is huge. And it's that people are willing to, to obviously spend their money, their time, right? Their resources and donate it to a good cause because it directly goes back. And I think I, I'm probably missing it based on it's probably a few weeks old, but like this year so far, like $80,000 has been given out to veterans and their families, active duty, retired. Dude, that's uh, awesome. You know, helping in like in their time of need when, you know, they couldn't pay their mortgage or they have medical bills that they can't pay. It's it's just things that you paid for funerals. Yeah, I mean, it it things that not that you take for granted, but you don't think about it until the worst has happened and now you're not only dealing with a very traumatic, a very turbulent time, the uh, most trying time in most people's lives, whatever the situation might be, and now they need financial resources or some kind of support. And that's the foundation able to step in really quickly and help is, is huge. You can't get busier than Croc and Bali. Like they've got Croc's finishing up his iPug at the <laughs> right. F35 TX. <laughs> right. Like he's in Texas. I'm up there in Texas. Baldy's doing Delta things and still flying part-time at McIntyre. Like they've, they've got kids and a wife and families and lives and all the things. And this is like, I don't want to say a side hustle, but this is like a, because it's not a side hustle. This is right. something that they live and breathe every day. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they're that still, that they're still that involved and it's grown that much is a true testament to the, the time and effort and like their love for guns. Yeah. It's huge. It's awesome to be just a small part of it being around. It's humbling, right? To see all these people come together and doing Dude, it's good awesome. work. And it's a fantastic day. Thanks God. Yeah. It, this has worked out quite all right. So and I'm getting a tan. Yeah, absolutely. God made this happen. It's, it's pretty impressive. Al, before we wrap up, if you found 15, 16 year old walking down the street, is there any advice you would give him? Tell him to do something different? Change. Life advice or flying yeah. advice or just anything? It could be, anything. Advice. It could be both. It could be one. It could be the other. <clears throat> Ooh. Um, lately, um, the move to Texas has been God kind of putting my life in a blender. <laughs> Got to shake it up a little bit. Put it on puree and then yeah. he lit it on fire. Yeah. And so like this is, I've had a little bit more time to kind of slow down and um, contemplate things that are like of actual value um, rather than what I thought was valuable. And here I am at 45 uh, years old, finally actively like trying to listen to what God has to say to me. Um, and I'm 45, man. If you can start that at 15 and like really truly like 
um, focus on God and what he can bring to your life, your priorities are going to completely change. So much so that like, man, I don't know if military flying is like the best use of my time any longer. It might be like, hey, dude, maybe I um, get I start leading a small group at my church or I go get uh, a master's in apologetics or I go do some missionary flying. I'm actually really interested in doing that. Um, and at some point, like the military flying will be over. And um, if I could tell that 16 year old dude like, hey, man, um, you may still want to go fly fighters. Absolutely. God may be calling you to do that. But if you can um, start listening to what he has to say and ask him honest questions, he'll talk to you. Um, that is probably what I've learned the most in the last two or three months of my life. And that is humbling because I'm 45 <laughs> and it took me this long to really, man, I've been a Christian my whole life, but the, I haven't really had that sort of relationship where like, hey, I'm, um, I'm honest enough first with God, and then second, like, I am actively listening and being prepared to hear what he has to say, and that is not always great. Well, it's kind of tough. I mean, sometimes it's, it's tough. Like, like I said, you know, life gets busy. It's easy to get wrapped up in things that might seem important, but, you know, you're down in the weeds. It's like taking the snapshot, getting the 20,000 foot or the 40,000 foot view and really getting a picture of what's going on. Um, your, your perspective changes considerably. The, the things that is important to you when you're 16 are <laughs> vastly different than when you're 45. And you've, you've already done a few things and you've lived a few things and you're also cognizant that you're running out of time too. Yeah. Um, and hey man, what are you really gonna do with your life? What do you think is actually valuable rather than what you're being told is valuable? Um, the, man, I'd probably be asking that question and see where it went. Alf, I think it's a great way to end it. Thanks for taking the time. It was enjoyable to be able to sit down. Absolutely. Perfect day. Appreciate Chat it. With you. Thanks, brother. Dude, thoroughly enjoyed it, man. Appreciate it.